Last week we launched uh, our theme for the year, uh, which is Hunger for God. And we're a church who wants to see God move passionately in our midst. And, and I just, I'm actually just going to jump in my notes to something I wrote recently about revival. I'd just like to read this to us again. Uh, and it's something that's just been stirring over a period of time. So I'm going to let me, let me read it out. Revival prayer, it's called. I've been feeling a stirring to lead our church into a new season of prayer for a while. One of the impacts of COVID for our church and many others was an overall dilution of spiritual passion. Too much pivoting and not enough praying. So this year, both at C3 Powerhouse Sunny Coast and Melbourne East, uh, we are stirring afresh the fires of prayer. Now, not primarily prayer with our lists and needs, which definitely has a place, but prayer for personal revival and church-wide revival. We want to see the wellspring of living water bubbling up within every member of our church to be filled with the Holy Spirit afresh, to fall in love with Jesus and to worship with passion all over again, for the fire of God to burn strong in every believer. I believe that the effects of personal revival flows into every aspect of church life. Our Sunday services already feel different as a result of our revival prayer. For me, revival means an increased hunger for God in believers, a greater dimension of the tangible presence of God in our meetings. I will pour out my spirit. Increased holiness in believers, consecration. Visions and dreams and a greater level of hearing the whisper of God. An increased passion for the lost and boldness. A greater level of the, of the supernatural, of the miraculous, and a harvest for souls. Now, I'm wary of weird for weird's sake, and I'm cautious about a me-centered Christianity where having personal spiritual experiences is the ultimate pursuit of my own journey, but because the Great Commission is ultimately to make disciples. But I don't want to settle for a form of godliness without power, religion good morals and well-organized meetings without Pentecost fire is not for me. I want to be in the middle of a move of God. Revive us, Lord. Pour out your spirit on all flesh. And everybody said, amen. And it's kind of hard, multi-site, to just suddenly move, pray, seek God. But I just want us to stand together in this location and Melbourne to stand on our feet and just begin to pray for a few minutes, just to pray. I'd like us to stir our hearts up, and I'd like us to begin to express, not to go through the motions of church, but to stir up our hunger for God. Not sure where your hunger for God is right now, but I want you to just to stir it up. So Melbourne and Sunny Coast together with one voice, it's in the Spirit. Lord, we ask right now, we're asking for a move of your spirit. We're asking for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We're asking that you would pour out your spirit on our church, on our, on our families, on our lives, on our nation. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit? God, we determine in our hearts that we're hungry for you. We're hungry for your presence. We're hungry for your word. 
We're hungry for more of the Spirit of God. Come on, let's lift our hands to heaven. Lift them high as a sign of your hunger to God. Father, we're crying out for more of your Holy Spirit. Mark us with revival right there in Melbourne, right there at 100 New Street. Right now, mark us with an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Interrupt us, oh God. Have your way in our midst, we pray, oh God. Stir us afresh. Stir up our first love, first, our first love for you, God. Let us return to the first works of our first love. We pray it in the mind mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, touch your neighbor, grab your seat, say, come on, you're ready for revival. Excellent. I want to preach in, I think, something that's quite foundational to our theme for this year, and it might look like it's going one way, but I tell you, it will come the other way by the end of the message. So just stay with me, all right? Uh, today, I want to preach, and um, this next two weeks, a message called, I Love the House of God. I Love the House of God. We're, we've been uh, singing a new song here on the sunny coast about the house of God, and I, I believe that uh, the house of God is, is the gate of heaven. We'll, we'll look at this together. Uh, the house of God is always under attack. The enemy hates the house of God. The devil wants to do everything he can to, to disrupt the house of God. He'll use the media. He'll use the government. He'll use any source he can to undermine the power of the house of God. Remember, we were working on our website with a, a web designer who was not a Christian, and he was looking at our vision statement, which a number of years ago was, uh, our vision is to build the church where Jesus is glorified and lives are transformed. Now, over the last few years, we've simplified it down to our vision is where lives are transformed because that will build the church, and that's the greatest thing to glorify Jesus. However, at that point, and so we looked at the vision statement, build the church, and he goes, looked around the building, tick. You've achieved your, your vision. And we're like, oh, you think this building is the church. That, that's, that's what you think. Just recently, uh, one of our fellow churches on the sunny coast, Maruchi Baptist, who does a great job with Christmas lights, uh, burnt, burnt down. And uh, their pastor, Phil, uh, told their whole church, he said, it doesn't matter because we've never, our church is not a building. We meet in a building. Our church is the people. I want to take you maybe for 10 minutes or so on a little bit of a theological journey about the house of God, and then we'll get practical, okay? Just come to Bible college with me just for 10 minutes, Melbourne. Take your notes out right now. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 28, which is uh, the first mention of the house of God in the Bible. And there's a, there's a scriptural interpretation principle called uh, the, the principle of first mention. And whenever something's mentioned for the first time in the Bible, usually you find a lot of the keys and the, the nucleus in the seed of that time. And this is Jacob who's running away from his uh, brother Esau who wants to kill him. He's in a crisis and he's running away from his brother Esau. He's been blessed by his father, uh, but he's a, he's a deceiver. He's got poor character. And so in this moment, he's feared for his life. And he comes in Genesis 28 verse 11. So he came to a certain place. Everybody say certain place. He stayed there all night because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of that place and put it on his head. That's a, that's, he's got to be tired to be sleeping with his head on a stone, but that's all right. And he laid down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, 
And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and it reached, its top reached to heaven. It's the original stairway to heaven. It's a long song. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, that's the one who just blessed him. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You'll spread abroad to the west and to the east, the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go, and I'll bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And Jacob awoke from his sleep. He's having a dream. And he awakes from his sleep and says, Surely the Lord is in this place. Everybody say, This place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. First mention in the Bible, none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. This is the gate of heaven. He goes down to verse 20 and he said, and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. He establishes some principles right there about the house of God. We learn from that moment that the house of God is a place of encounter. This is, this is what we can draw from this scripture. It's a place of visions and dreams. It's a place of spiritual activity. The house of God is a, it's a portal. It's a doorway. It's a place where the spirit realm comes to the natural realm. It comes through the house of God. The house of God is awesome. How awesome is this place? The house of God is, is where prophetic things are to told over you. How many of us have been running away from some kind of crisis and a friend said, you better get your butt to church and you came to church and you encountered God and something changed in your heart and a prophetic promise from God about your future and your destiny and what God's got and His attention for you. It came into your heart as you encountered God through the gate of heaven, the house of of God. How awesome is this place? And then he goes on and he brings his tithe to Jesus, which was Melchizedek. That's the first mention of the tithe a bit earlier. He brings his tithe to Jesus in the house of God. So we know then from the, what we can learn from this right from the get-go is initially the house of God was a place. Tobias, the house of God was a place. And so then what happened as, as, as Jacob had this encounter, then Moses meets God on Mount Sinai. He gets some, he gets some instructions to build a tabernacle and he, builds, and he builds an ark. And from this moment, God says, you, you guys can't handle my presence yet face to face because you're unclean. Therefore, if I turned up to you with you being unclean, you would be destroyed because of my holiness. So I'm, gonna, I'm literally going to limit myself to a box an ark, and I want you to build a tabernacle, and wherever that tabernacle is and where that ark is, I will limit myself to a place where you can encounter me. So you carry, you carry that ark on the shoulder of the priests who are sanctified and right before God, and the Bible tells us when, when they first built the tabernacle and they built the ark, uh, Moses, the, it says the cloud of the glory of God came and filled the tabernacle, and they could barely enter into it because it was such a thick sense of the glory of God. The house of God was a place. 
And so then they bought it up and God gave them Jerusalem and he gave them Israel, their holy place. And so then Solomon bought a temple, a, well, didn't buy a temple, it was on, on realestate.com, it was amazing. It was such a bargain he got. Solomon built a temple according to the pattern that God had given to David. And in this temple, they've had the Holy of Holies where the ark came and a big thick curtain. And the, the only one priest could go once a year. And then they had other outer layers of this temple where they would all come three times a year to worship God. And God limited himself to the temple or the house of God. And David said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go up, because it was up a hill, to the house of God. And the house of God was a place of worship. It was a place of encounter. It was a place of prophetic promise. It was a place where your sins were forgiven. The house of God was magnificent. David said, I'd rather spend one day in the courts of that temple than a thousand anywhere else. The house of God, how awesome is this place? It was a place. But it didn't stay as a place. I mean, I, lo I love it when they dedicated the temple. The Bible says in Chronicles that, that the, the cloud of the glory came into the temple when it was first dedicated. And the priests could not stand or minister because of the cloud of the glory of God. It was like a Benny Hinn meeting times 10 all in one concentrated moment. It's the house of God. But the house of God, was, this was just a progression this was not always intended that this is what it would be. It was that we would learn what the house of God would be through one place, but, if, but it would go through a progression. The second progression is the house of God moved from being a place to being a person. And Jesus turns up. And God's no longer limited to a box behind a curtain where only one person can go once a year with, a, with some bells and a rope on his leg in case he's impure and he, he carks it in the presence of God. The bell stops ringing and they drag him out. That was the old way. I mean, oh boy, that would change coming to church a little bit. Imagine having, anyway, imagine having a rope on your legs. I don't know, it was, you might be in trouble there in Melbourne if you had that going on. Pull him out, pull him out. And Jesus comes along. And, and, he, and he is now God in a person. And now Jesus is like a mobile temple. He's a pop-up temple. And he's moving around. Now he is God. Now he is the temple of God. He, make, he makes a statement to them. He says, in three days, uh, you'll, you'll, this, this temple will be destroyed and I'll rebuild it in three days. What's he talking about? He's talking about him and his, his, his death and resurrection. That's, we find that in John chapter 2. Destroy this temple three days, I'll raise it up. And the Jews said, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple because it was destroyed after Solomon built it. And so they, they built it again in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. And you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. The house of God was a place, but now it's become a person. And Jesus, the mobile temple of God, walks around and he does some radical things. He's not just healing people. That was radical. But he says to some, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. And they're like, no, 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 no. The only place that our sins can be forgiven is when we go to Jerusalem the mountain of the Lord, we bring our sacrifice, we bring our offering, it's laid out before us and the priests tell us that our sins are forgiven. Who do you think you are to forgive sins? That's the job of the temple. Well, now the temple's here. 
The temple's a body. The temple's a person. And he goes around forgiving sins. And suddenly God is no longer limited to a, 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 an ark in a room, in a temple, in the house of God. He's now in a person moving around. And they're like, and Jesus is blowing them away. You can be forgiven of your sins here. You can be forgiven there. And, they, and, and he get, his disciples start doing some things on the Sabbath. Because the only people who can work on the Sabbath are the workers in the temple of God. They get an exemption to bring sacrifices. If they're in the house of God, there's an exemption for them to, to minister to God on behalf of the people. They've got an exemption. So now the mobile temple, Jesus, the house of God, he's, he's moving around. And as he moves around, his disciples who are workers with the temple uh, break off some, some grain and eat it. And they say, you guys aren't allowed to work. And he's like, no, the Sabbath was made for man, not made for the Sabbath. In fact, wherever I am, there's now a dispensation for ministering on the Sabbath because the temple is everywhere in the body of Jesus. Are you following the pattern? The house of God. Magnificent. Now, now get this. No, no, I'm going to hold that thought. Just, it's coming a little later. Hold it. Hold. The house of God was a place. The house of God's a person. But the ultimate point was not that the house of God would be Jesus himself alone. The ultimate point was that one day when he's crucified, when he takes the sins of the world upon himself and pays the price that was paid at the, on the day of atonement, that was paid on behalf of the people. He does that and he bears the sin of the world. And in that moment, from top to bottom, this massively thick curtain is ripped. It's rendered. And God says, I'm coming out of the box. I'm coming out of the meeting place. I'm coming out of the Holy of Holies. Now, whosoever will believe... In the name of Jesus, whosoever will confess their sins, you become righteous before God and the mobile temple is no longer in Jesus. He's the, he's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. But now you and I get to become mobile temples. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, your temple's looking pretty good today. Come on in Melbourne. You know you want to do it. Your temple's looking pretty good today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Just a little theology before we land this. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the cloud of the glory of God that was once limited to a tabernacle and an ark, the cloud of the glory of God that was once limited to a temple and the holy of holies and a worshiping people? You and I can have the same Spirit living inside of us. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. But, but what we've got to get, okay, what we've got to get is it's not just that I'm my own temple and you're your own temple. That, that's Western thinking has individualized Christianity. The lowest level of your spiritual walk with God is you and God. If that's the extent, if someone says to me, oh, I don't need others, I don't need church, I don't, I don't need people, it's just me and God, I'm like, you're missing the point. Because the temple of God is not just you, a temple of the Holy Spirit, it's we. Watch what Peter says, just a few scriptures. It says, you are living stones. All the Sherlock Holmes fans, living stones, I presume. 
Okay, sorry. Okay. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. You don't need a priest on behalf of you anymore. I am not your priest. I'm not your high priest. Jesus is your high priest. You're a priest. You have a relationship with God direct. I just want to stir it up and facilitate it, but I am not your go-between. Jesus is your go-between. Come on, somebody. That's good news. Okay, where are we? Okay, through the mediation of Jesus Christ. So we're, we're living stones. So you're a stone, you're a stone, you're a stone, you're a stone, you're a stone. In Melbourne, you're a stone, front row there, you're a stone, you're a stone. You're, you're all, st we're stones, but stones on their own are no good. Stones put together is what builds the house. We are, we are the house of God. So, so watch this. The house of God was a place. The house of God became a person. But now the house of God is a people. It's a people, it's a us, it's, it's a you and I. Uh, 1 Timothy 3 verse 15 says this, For if I'm delayed, I write so that you may, they may, you may know how you, might, how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church. The house of God now has got another name. It's the church. It's referred to as a, the body of Christ the family of God, but the house of God. So when we say, I love the house of God, what we're saying is I love the church. I love us. I love what God's created us to do. Uh, Hebrews 3 verse 6 says this, but Christ as the Son is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Therefore, what we have to understand, which the world doesn't fully understand, is church is no longer a geographical location. Three Premier Circuit, 100 New Street, is a place where the church gathers, but this ain't the church. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, when we, on a Monday night, our family has family dinner. Okay, and our kids, even as they've grown up, they'll come in and we'll eat and we'll, we'll have fun and we'll laugh and, and play games. And it's, it's an awesome time, particularly now that they're young adults. We used to do it for years. Every night was family dinner. But what they don't say, they don't say, oh, we're going to mum and dad's to do family. We're going to mum and dad's uh, so because we are, not because we are, we're going to mum and dad and that's the family. That's the family. No, we, we are a family. Wherever we are, we're a family. And so we're not coming to church, we're not going to, see church is not a, ge I'll get it, a geographical location, and church is not even just an activity. I'll go to nippers, I'll go to church, I'll go to football, I'll go to work. It's, no, 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 it's not just one of the activities, it's, church is not just an activity, church is a us, church is a we, church is, it's us all the time. So if we understand that, we understand, here we go, that the church or the house of God is the place of power. It's the place of power. Jesus said this in Matthew 18, verse 18 to 20, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This sounds pretty powerful. You guys, are, I'm giving you the keys to change atmospheres, to change lives, to heal people. I'm, I'm giving you the keys. And then he goes on and says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. 
And then he says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, the name of Jesus, I am there in the midst of them. Jesus gives the insight that the place of power, you know, there's one place of power at one level is when I close my closet door and I go into my secret place and I, I seek God. That's a place of power. But there's another level of a place of power. There's another level of an experience of God where two or three gather. See, we're not the house of God. We're not the church unless we gather. And when we gather, Jesus says, I'm there in the midst of you. That, that's when I turn up, when you gather together. And he says, and there's another level of power. Not just when you gather and hate each other. Not just when you gather and disagree about everything. But when you gather and agree on anything in my name, that's the ultimate place of power. So there's a level of power in my walk with Jesus because I'm the temple of of the Holy Spirit. But then when we begin to gather as building blocks and building stones and say, God, put me together to build a place where your presence will dwell. Because his presence doesn't dwell at the, the, the dimension. Have you ever found this? You would have found this, those of you who have started coming to revival prayer. What it takes for me personally to experience the cloud of the glory of God compared to what happens when I gather with a group of people. Now, you, you add some, uh, we're agreeing to fast for a season. You add some agreement. You, you add some agreement over, over some things we're believing and a dream for the decade and, and promises from God. And suddenly the dimension of the experience of the presence, the cloud and the glory of God, the lid comes off because we gather. So here's what you and I got to know is the devil knows this. He knows that the house of God is the most powerful when we gather. He knows the house of God is the most powerful when we come into agreement. And so his number one strategy, once you're saved, once you've connected with God, and if you're here today in our service watching online or, or watching in, or sitting in Melbourne and you don't have a connection with God and you haven't yet experienced the beauty, the glory of the Spirit of God coming and making His dwelling place in you, when He does that, everything changes. Love comes into your heart. Joy comes into your heart. When God's presence, peace comes into your heart, that's your first step. So the devil will do everything to stop that step. But once you've made that decision... What's he going to try and do? Because he knows we're the most powerful. What? When we gather and when we agree. So he's going to do everything he can to stop you and I gathering. And he's going to do everything he can to stop you and I coming into agreement. Because that's the place of power. I love the house of God. He's going to try and make us offended at the house of God. He's going to try and, I don't know about you, but, but I know for many people, and myself included, sometimes when it's gathering time, it's the most tired time of the week. Come on, somebody. I don't know about you, but some of the greatest fights Danielle and I have ever had was right before we gather. I reckon the dooziest of all doozies happened as we were about to open our homes for a connect group in Gingelic Drive, Budra Meadows, and I don't know what happened. She probably lost it at me for no good reason. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Guilty as charged over here. It was probably, you know, it was probably about an 80-20 something, about 80% my fault, 20% hers. That's normally how it goes. 
And we were, we were like, you know, it's connect groups about to happen. I don't, I'm not even sure if we had mobile phones or a, or a signal group or a WhatsApp group. We couldn't cancel. People were literally about to knock on the door. And World War III was going on in our kitchen. Why does World War III happen right before connect group? Why does World War III happen in your home? Why does your kids start manifesting on a Sunday morning before you're about to go to church, somebody? Come on, why, why, why is this the, the moment you get a, a, a headache or a migraine? Why is this the moment we're coming to revival prayer and something at work flares up to try and distract you? You know why it is. Because the place of gathering and agreement is where the power of God is. When the house of God comes together. So he'll want to take you out. So here's, here's what I, I've noticed. This is a, a self-reflection. Our theme this year is hunger for God. Hunger for God. One of the key scriptures is Revelation where Jesus speaks to his church in Ephesus, says, I, I know your deeds, I know your perseverance, I know you're morally upright, I know you've tested these things. He says, but I have this against you, you've lost your first love. And he says, what I want you to do is to return to the works that you did at first. Because hmm. that's the sign that you've recaptured your love. Now, I, I don't know about you, I, 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 the best likening of this is, is relationship for us. So, you know, when you first start going out, every night's date night. You don't need to schedule date night in. It's just like, let's get finished work so we can just go and hang out. So we can talk. So we can ring. Because there's this first love thing going on and we're like, we just want to be together. Now, life happens, kids happen, work happens, and suddenly you're like, flip, we better schedule some date nights. Because what we intend in our heart, we need to prioritize with our time and calendar because our love is usually follows the decisions and the direction of our life. So when we hang out or when we take our kids on holidays, and I, I often would say when we go on holidays or we go away on weekends, we fall in love all over again. That's because your heart follows where your time and your focus and your energy is. So when you first got saved and you got in love with Jesus, you're like, there's a long time between Sunday and Sunday. What can I do? And, and, you know, oh, there's a night meeting. What? We come back tonight? Yes. Awesome. And then there's some connect groups. What? Oh, phew, it's, it seems so long. Sunday's the best day of my week. Such a, you mean we get to gather together in someone's home and pray and that same cloud that fills the temple, the house of God, when we gather, that same cloud will fill the lounge room because we are the house of God. Oh, we get to pray. Oh, there's a prayer meeting. Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, revival prayer. There's a, oh, you're oh, awesome, only two days. I, I don't know about you, I've started to find this thing in me. Like Monday afternoon, I'm like, Oh, revival prayer, it's tomorrow night. We just get to come and worship and be in God's presence. It's like date night, me and God. Come on, together, we're, we're coming, not with our list, but to worship because we just, we want to gather to worship God. Why? So he, he, this, is, this is the early days. And when Jesus says, I want you to rekindle your first love, 
You've heard me tell this before, but one of the signs of dehydration as it gets worse and worse is you lose your sense of thirst. That's the danger zone. I remember as a kid, well, not as a kid, as a 21-year-old, 20-year-old, that feels like a kid, in the Army Reserves doing this 10-kilometer race, not that fit, in Inaugura in Brisbane, hilly, 40 degrees, and I'm running on a banana for breakfast, that's all I had, not drunk enough water, I'm dehydrating, but I don't realize it. I'm not thirsty. I've lost my sense of thirst. And I can see the finish line in front of me, just down the hill, and I just, I'm like, it's mind over matter, mind over matter, mind over matter, and then suddenly, boom, I collapse from heat exhaustion. I wake up in a bath in the officer's mess. They're trying to revive me with water because I'd lost my thirst. And one of the signs that we've lost our hunger for God, it's three things. We, we've lost our hunger for his presence in, in prayer and worship. And if the only time you pray and worship is Sunday morning once a week or once every two weeks, you'll end up collapsing spiritually. We lose our, our thirst for the Word of God. The only time you're reading the Word of God is when it comes up on the, scripture, up on the screen behind me. That, that's good, but it's the sign that we've lost our first love. Or we lose our thirst to gather. And where gathering, which is where the power is, becomes optional, becomes an interruption to my busy life. When it becomes just another thing, it tells me I've lost my first love. And I want to stir us up together as the house of God, to love the house of God. This is, this is what happens as our keyboardist comes. Thank you, Rod. This is what happens when you make a determination to gather together. You just, you just say, we're going to do it. I know for, for Danielle and I, just practically in a family life and dates life with kids and you're tired or whatever, you just go, we're going to have dates tired. We're not going to wait until we feel the perfect feeling. And some will be great dates where we really emotionally connect and others won't be the most amazing ones, but we're establishing a pattern of emotional connection. And that's what gathering is. That's what reading the Bible is for me. I just, I'm reading it every morning. And sometimes it's like, man, this is unbelievable. And sometimes literally I'm going, wake up. But I've just made a decision because my emotions will follow my will. I'm going to gather. Can we close our eyes together? Melbourne, close your eyes. Those of you watching online, close our eyes. I love the house of God. It's the gate of heaven, the place of encounter, the place where the glory of God comes, the cloud of God comes, the place of prophetic promise. When you gather together with your connect group, your prayer group, it's, it's the house of God. It's the place of encounter. When we gather and pray, I'm asking, Father, for every one of us that you'd help us love your house. 
love the gathering, love the fellowship. We are your people. Stir us afresh. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us. Come on, if you're just in your seat, you're recognizing, God, I've, I've lost some passion for your house. Just ask his forgiveness. It was said of Jesus that the zeal, his zeal for the house of God consumed him. He was obsessed with the house of God. Healthy obsessed. Do a heart check right now. Would you say you have a zeal for God's house, his people? Lord, we're determined to return to the first love works. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Melbourne, God bless you. We love you guys. I'm releasing you back to Pastor Ebony there.